prophet, a good teacher, a religious leader, a revolutionary, a spiritual guide, the son of God. Many have described him in different ways, but who was Jesus really? How did a humble group of followers turn into the world's largest religion? Join us in January as we investigate the beginnings of the Jesus Revolution. Investigating Jesus, a revolution begins. A series at Stapleton Church. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you guys are here. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. We are all about helping people follow Jesus even on snowy days. So I'm glad you guys are here and joining us. Or if you're watching online, we're so glad that you're here uh, online as well. Well, I think we're having some lighting issues. Can you guys see me? Can you see me all right? Okay. But we got heat. We got lights on. We're good, right? We're here, and it's going to be a great morning. I'm really excited. Um, We believe uh, in helping people follow Jesus, and one of the best ways to do that is in community. We think it's uh, nearly impossible to follow Jesus on your own. That's why we stress community groups so much here. We just launched those, some of you, last week. Maybe because of snow day, you're going to start this week. Um, Please, if you haven't, get in one of those. We're excited because we had the most people ever and the highest percentage ever of people in community groups this semester. So that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, thank you guys for doing that. Almost 80%. Our goal is 100, though, so if you're not in one, get in one. Okay? Let's just say that, right? Okay. Um, um, But we're excited about today. Yeah, new group starting now. Um, that we are going to be jumping into Luke chapter 5. We're going to go from verse 33 all the way to chapter 6, 11. So next week we're actually starting a new series called Change Agents. We're going to continue to investigate Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, but it really shifts as it begins moving from the movement, the revolution that Jesus was starting, into the people that he was creating to change the world, which includes, God willing, hopefully, you and me. So how can we be those people that can change the world like God has called us to be? Um, the change agents. So um, we're going to be jumping into that. And I think today's message um, is going to be really important because we are going to choose Jesus over religion. Because here's the bottom line. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. Okay, so we're going to talk about why we need to choose Jesus over religion again and again and again. And and that's so important. I don't know about you, but I had a, a religious upbringing um, my parents were awesome followers of Jesus, and, and they took us to this church. We were in a small town, so it was one of the only churches really available to us. But you walked into the back of this church, and everything was wood. You know what I'm talking about? It's like wood paneling, huge hardwood back pews, right? And, and then there's these um, there's this gigantic pipe organ in the back of this place. It wasn't a very big church, but that pipe organ was enormous. And when they played the pipe organ, it was louder than any rock concert I've ever been to. Anybody been to one of those churches? You know what I'm talking about? Blasting loud, there's like a little choir loft even in this tiny church, and then up front on the stage, uh, I don't know what, you probably don't call it a stage, uh, up on the platform, there were those thrones. Does anybody have an experience with that? There's like four thrones, and the pastor and the elders would sit on the thrones and look at you, and you're like, I'm doing something wrong today. I just know it. As a little kid, I'm like, you'd sit down, stand up, okay, oh my gosh, sit down, oh no, I think I got it wrong. You know, you're sitting down when you're not supposed to, and, and then finally the message comes, and oh my gosh. Every week I was like, okay, please let there be one of those little wooden pencils in the back of my pew so I can draw something today because there's no way I'm making it through this service today. You know, I, I, I like the hymns. I, I actually still love hymns. 
But man, it was hard. It was like the same songs every week, the same prayers that we prayed every single week, the same traditions, the same message, at least it sounded like to me. You know, it was like the same thing every week, every week. And I think if that was my only experience, I would have been like, man, I want to leave that in the past. Isn't there something better than that? And I'm not trying to dog traditions and, and, and rituals and preferences and all that good stuff. That's not what I'm trying to do today. But what I am trying to say is actually that's not what Jesus came to start. He didn't come to start a religion, but really a revolution that would transform the world. There's enough religions out there. Jesus didn't say, hey, let's make a new one. This one's going to be better than the other ones. No, no, no. It's like it's going to be something completely different. And that's why we want to choose Jesus over religion. And I hope that you guys, no matter what your religious experience, because some of you have that, some of you have different ones, some of you, maybe this is your only religious experience. You know, we, we, it doesn't feel religious to me, but for some people it might. But maybe this is your experience or you have something different. But whatever it is, as we come to this passage today, we're going to learn from Jesus himself that there is something greater than all our traditions and our religious preferences and the rules that we make. Because aren't there a lot of rules in religion too? Do this, don't do that. Okay, now we don't have light, okay? Oh, hey, there we go. Now we have too much light. Just the right amount of light. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sonny. <laughs> great. <laughs> if you ever see Sonny running around, we got a whole great team, but Sonny just can figure out everything. Like, no matter what happens, he figures out a way to fix it. I love you guys. Okay, so today we're going to learn as we investigate Jesus that he actually was not here to start a religion, but a revolution. And that's why we're going to choose him in a lot of different ways. And in three specific ways, we're going to see how we need to choose Jesus over religion. So that's what we're going to do today. One other thing I wanted to point out before we start our uh, diving into the, the passage today is that we have a midweek podcast. Okay, so if you hear our messages on Sundays, we put those up on podcasts, um, up on our Stapleton Church Media tab. You can subscribe to the YouTube videos or the audio, get it sent straight to your phone. But we also have this midweek podcast called The 10,000 because there are 10,080 minutes in a week and you're only here for 80 of them. So this is a podcast for the other 10,000. And each week we kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of the stuff we're talking about on Sundays and we answer your questions. So we started a new season of the 10,000 just this past week, but we're going to continue that. So if you have questions, you can um, send them in to Sawyer, send them to strap at stapletonchurch.com. That's trap with two T's. But if you have any questions about the message, about what we're doing here, about the Bible, whatever it is, send in those questions and we'll address them and answer them on the midweek podcast 10,000. And you can subscribe to that and you won't miss any episodes with that either. Okay, so enough with that, uh, enough of the details. Let's get into this passage. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 33 through chapter 6, 11. And we open at this passage and we're going to learn three things that Jesus taught us to choose. And the first one is that we need to choose transformation over tradition to choose transformation over tradition and this is what we see here in verse 33 we read they said to him just jumps in there they said to him well who is they they are the religious leaders the religious guys that are like the deacons they're the elders they're the pastors of that day the righteous sunday school teachers these are um, the people, and they're going to be referenced, the Pharisees. We're going to talk about them a little bit later. But these are the guys that everyone looked up to. They have everything together. They're the spiritual leaders, right? And they say to Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. 
But Jesus' disciples here have uh, a reputation for being some partiers, it sounds like, right? Okay, everybody else is fasting, everybody else is praying, but what are you guys doing? You're eating and drinking. And just last week we saw that they're having a party even with sinners. <gasps> you know, that was a big deal. He was with all the tax collectors after Levi had become a follower of Jesus. All of them, they're, they're partiers. And Jesus, they're, they're attacking Jesus, aren't they, right? They're, they're challenging him, but they're doing it by pointing at his disciples. Your disciples, they don't, even, they don't want to go head on head with Jesus quite yet. And they say John's disciples. This was John the baptizer. He was the great preacher, went out in the desert, was baptizing all sorts of people. Speaking of which, we're doing baptisms next week. So if you've never publicly declared your faith, we'll do it next week. Okay? You can get in the water. I'll dunk you. Okay. Um, But John's disciples, they're fasting and praying. So are the Pharisees, all the religious leaders of our days, the, the people who are the moral examples for us. They fast. They pray. But not you guys. So this is, I think, interesting because if you've read anything that Jesus said, he actually taught people to fast. In the Sermon on the Mount... He says, when you fast, implying that we should be doing it, right? Not if you fast. He says, when you fast. And that's why even as a church, back in January, you may remember we did our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Some of you engaged in that, maybe fasted every single day or or once a week during those 21 days. And and it's a powerful thing. Jesus also taught people how to pray. He prayed. But yet Jesus and his disciples have this reputation for not doing those things. Well, why is it? Why is it? Well, here's the reason. Because... The John's disciples, and specifically the Pharisees, are fasting all the time. They're fasting all the time. See, in the Old Testament, it was prescribed that there were certain fasts throughout the year. That for high holy days, you'd have a special day of fasting. And then what the Pharisees did was that they, wanted, that they basically made some traditions around that. Not only would you fast on the one day that you were supposed to that month, but they fasted the day before and the day after. Because that's what you do when you're religious, right? You make up some more traditions. Okay, so they did that. We're going to fast three days instead of just one. And then they said, well, on the Sabbath day, that's a holy day, why don't we fast on that day too? So every week now they're fasting one day a week. And then on top of that, some of the good Pharisees, as is mentioned in the scriptures, some of the good Pharisees were like, well, one day, that's not enough. We have to fast two days a week, every single week. See, they're making these tradition on top of tradition. Like, it's not enough just to do what the Bible is saying. We're going to go way beyond that. And that's kind of how traditions begin to form. Okay, we're going to do these things because this, this makes, if, if one day of fasting makes you holy, well, three days, that's way better. If one day awake is good, two days is better, right? This is the, their mind, and it becomes a tradition. And now what they're doing is they're saying, well, we follow our traditions. What about you? Why aren't you as righteous as we are? Right? They're, they're judging Jesus and his disciples because they're not up to these traditions. And what happens with those things is that, yes, they start out as a good thing, like, oh yeah, I, I think I want to go above and beyond for God. I'm going to fast two days. I'm going to fast three days. But then when they start forcing everybody else to do those things and it becomes the expectation, it's no longer about drawing close to God. Because here's an interesting thing about fasting is that fasting often in the Bible was either when things were going really, really bad or when there was grieving going on. Like, So re- things were going really bad. When Esther was, uh, all of her people, all of God's people were about to be killed, Esther's about to go into the throne room of the king. She thinks she might get her head chopped off if she goes in there. She told all the people, fast for me. Okay? Connect to God and pray because we, want, we need God to come down and, and do something to help us. They also were fasting when Jerusalem got destroyed because they're grieving, they're in mourning. 
We've got to fast. When someone dies, it's important they would fast. But now they're doing it all the time. It's like we've got to fast twice a week, every single week. We need more ritual. We need more tradition. So what does Jesus say in response to these things? This challenge that is coming at him. Verse 34 we read, Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. So Jesus isn't against fasting, right? But he's saying that there is something special going on that means his disciples, it's okay, it's even good for them not to fast. Well, what is that thing? Well, it said that the bridegroom was there among them. Who's the bridegroom? Anybody? Jesus. That's the good Sunday school answer. Jesus is the answer, right? Okay, Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom. They were called the bridegroom. We know that as the groom, in case you were mistranslating that right there. Okay, the groom at a wedding. Okay, the groom is coming. And in those days, the groom would finally come into town on the wedding day for the first time he'd be there. And when he showed up, what does that mean? It's time to party. Okay, it's time to party. And you know, we spend a ton of money nowadays on one day. We get it totally mixed up because back in those days, they would have a seven-day party, right? Seven days, that's a real wedding party. So I just want you to imagine the best wedding you've ever been to. Okay, you go, it's a great ceremony, sweet kiss, and then afterwards you go, there's, there's good snacks in between because, man, they make you wait way too long, don't they, for the reception nowadays. But there's some good food, some good drink, and you're hanging out, and then finally everybody gets there, and it's a party. You, you've been to some of those weddings? And then they put on the music, and it's some good music. It's not just some crummy DJ. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is a great, great music. They're playing, and everybody's throwing their hands up in the air, right, on the dance floor. Okay, so I want you to imagine the best wedding party you've been to, and, and it would be like that times seven, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, when the bridegroom comes into town, it's time to party. Guess what none of you were doing at that best wedding that's in your imagination? You weren't fasting. <laughs> that's right. None of you were fasting. You're eating and you're drinking. Okay? It's good stuff. You might have even drank too much. God will forgive you if you ask him for it. Okay, no. I love you. Okay, um, even if you don't remember all the wedding, right? He was like, that was great. We were eating and we were drinking. It was fun, but I wasn't fasting. I wasn't fasting. See, Jesus said, hey, I'm the groom. I'm here. It's time to party. Because when, when the groom is here, it's a party. And he says, I'm the groom. So my disciples, of course, they're not fasting all the time. And here's the thing. When Jesus, yes, he is left. Yes, there's a time to fast. But he still comes to us in our worship. He comes to us in our prayer. He comes and lives inside of us. So if you have Jesus as the Lord of your life, the groom is with you. And you should have the same joy that comes with the best wedding party you can ever imagine. Okay? Here's the thing about following Jesus. We talked about this in our Christmas Eve message. Is that yes, you will have eternal life and eternal joy when you die. But that joy starts now. Okay, the true happiness, you can have it starting right now. And that is actually the transformation that should happen in your heart when Jesus comes into it. You should begin to experience the fullness of joy in your life, even in hardship. Experience that joy. And that's because Jesus has transformed you. So what Jesus is saying here in this section is that we need to choose transformation, the transformation that Jesus brings over tradition. He's not saying get rid of all tradition forever. There's some great things about tradition. He's not saying don't ever fast, don't ever pray. Of course you do those things. But he says, there's a transformation that happens because of me now. My disciples have experienced it. They're celebrating because I'm here with them. 
My followers who, who don't even know me yet, that's us, they will be celebrating as well because I have transformed them from the inside out. And that's why we choose transformation over tradition. We choose transformation over tradition. And I want to challenge you guys to do the same. You know, there's something amazing that happens at a great wedding, right? That even like introverted, closed-off people, they go to a wedding, they celebrate. I remember I did this wedding for this guy, and I knew him for a few years before I, I officiated his wedding. He was quiet, introverted, didn't talk to anybody, kept his head down all the time. You should see him on his wedding night. That's not what he looked like. In fact, I mean, he still has been completely transformed. He met this girl, fell in love, and they're so excited. It's a transformation, right? Okay, so, so in the same way... In the same way, when we are with Jesus, when he's in our heart, there's a transformation that happens that brings a joy. And that's why we need to choose transformation over tradition. So if you notice that this transformation happens because of the person, right? Because of the person of Jesus. And it's that relationship that actually is the next thing that we're going to notice. So Jesus is starting to point this out. And we're going to jump ahead now to chapter 6. We'll get back to the end of chapter 5 at the end of the message. But in chapter 6, Jesus is going to teach us our second point is that we need to choose relationship over rulemaking. Hmm. Choose relationship over rulemaking. And the relationship I'm talking about is the relationship we have with Jesus or with God through Jesus, with the Father in heaven. And Jesus is going to say we need to have that relationship over rulemaking. Over rulemaking. This is what we see in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you doing what is unlawful for the Sabbath? So what is going on here? Here's the Pharisees again, the religious guys, the leaders. And he sees Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath. That's the key word here, on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was Saturday. That was the day that God had set aside as the day that's supposed to be holy, that you're supposed to rest from work and instead choose to worship the one God of the universe. This was in the Ten Commandments. You know, this was instructed by God, and yet here is Jesus out walking in the grain fields, and his disciples are reaching out, pulling out handfuls of grain and rubbing them together so they could get out the kernels. Well, do you know what they're doing? They're working. Okay, this may seem bizarre to you, but that's what they thought. These guys are working. They are making their food. They're grinding it. That's just like if they were going to go to the mill and grind out some flour and bake bread, right? You may think it's absurd, but this is what we religious people do. We make more rules. See, what God had commanded was to rest from work on the Sabbath and to make it holy by worshiping God. That's it. Well, then the question becomes, well... How much work are you allowed to do on the Sabbath, right? Okay, if you're not supposed to make food on the Sabbath, because they would make food the night before, actually, and they would have the food to eat on the Sabbath. So if if you're supposed to do that, you're not supposed to make food, well, what about this? See, the religious people don't like gray areas. They like black and white. In fact, there's an interesting thing. The word Pharisee comes from an Aramaic root word, which means to separate. See, the Pharisees were great at building fences. Here's the fence. This is what's good. This is what's bad. This is right. This is wrong. Righteous, unrighteous, holy, unholy. And we're going to clearly define what the line is so we know who's in and who's out. So Pharisees did. 
And they were very good at it because they said, well, it says we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, how much work? Well, you can't make food. So therefore, you can't even grind some of the heads of grain from a field. That's too much work. If you want to do that, you've got to grind the heads of grain the day before, keep it in your pocket, and then eat it the next day. Okay, that, that's the line they would draw. They would go to uh, more extremes. It would be how many um, paces, how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. There would be a distance. There was a certain distance. You can go this far on a walk, and you can only go so fast. It's interesting. Um, in Nebraska, in the town we lived, there was a meatpacking plant, and they would have to bring in priests to make it kosher. You know, they'd bless the meat. So the priests, you'd see them out there on Saturdays, these, these rabbis, and they would walk like this. Because if they walk too quickly, then they're working. But if they just go out for a little stroll and make sure they only go the certain amount of steps, it's okay. We can think it's silly because we look at other people, but all religious people do this. We want to define what's right and what's wrong. And what Jesus is saying is actually there's the relationship that's way more important than these rules that we're making. Because the Bible never said you can't reach out into the field and rub some current grain so you can get a kernel out and eat it. But we've, got to make, we've made that extra rule now. It, it becomes this tradition, it becomes this rule that's been made up by human beings, not by God. And, and what Jesus says in response to them in verses 3 through 5 is that he said, hey, let me tell you about the scriptures. You guys love the Bible, right? Well, in the scriptures, you may remember this story, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Uh, Jesus is just telling them, right? You guys don't remember this story, that's okay. But David, King David, was fleeing. This was before he was king. He was fleeing from King Saul, who wanted to kill him. And David is running, and he's kind of hiding from Saul, who he knows is coming to kill him. But he, his men are waiting for him, his soldiers that are going to protect him. And he goes, and he's like, I need something to eat. My soldiers need something to eat. We're on the lamb now. Where does he go? He goes to the temple. Tradition tells us it was on the Sabbath. So he goes into the temple, and he talks to the priest. He says, hey, I'm on a mission from the king. He actually lies. Okay? Oh, my gosh. He lies. He says, I'm on a mission from the king. And the priest looks at him and says, okay, what do you need? David says, I need some bread. I need some food for me and my men. Do you have anything? And the priest says, sorry, all that we have is the special show bread, the bread that's used in the worship services that only the priests are allowed to eat. You common people are not allowed to eat it. But what does the priest do? Because this man is an emissary for the king, he gives him the special show bread. David takes it, and he and his soldiers eat it. Okay? So Jesus says, hey, remember that story in the scriptures? There was, it seems like an exception to the rule, right? It seems like an exception. And then what Jesus says next kind of confirms why he says this story. He says in verse 5, chapter 6, it says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is talking about himself. He called himself the Son of Man. He said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the King of the Sabbath. The reason why we have a Sabbath day is so you can worship me, is what he's saying. So therefore, I am much greater than any stupid rules you are making for the Sabbath. In the same way that King David, or on a mission from the king already anointed to be the next king, he was an exception to the rule because this is the king. If the king is hungry, you've got to feed him, even if it's special bread that the king isn't supposed to eat. So it's about the relationship. It's about the person. Jesus says, if I'm the king of the Sabbath, the Sabbath is for me. It's more about me than these little rules you're making. And if any of these rules detract from your relationship with me, get rid of them. That's what Jesus is saying. Because the relationship is more important 
than the rules that we make. So choose relationship over rulemaking. Now, if you think about this, we know it's true. So this week was my first uh, full week back at work for my paternity leave. And um, uh, so we're just, we're just trying to survive, right? We have like a whole like two-hour routine, three-hour routine in the morning just to get ready so I can get out the door and get to, to work, right? Okay, so basically I have all these rituals, you know, the routine that you go through, getting everything ready, trying to take care of the twins and our daughter McKinley, and everything's going well. And, and by the end of the week, I like have the routine. I got everything figured out right so that I can get to work on time. And then Thursday morning, um, I'm just about to get ready to leave. McKinley looks at me and said, Dad, would you please visit me? Can you visit me? She just wants me to sit there and talk with her. But I'm too busy, right? I've got to get going if I'm going to make it to work on time. Because I'm thinking about the rules, okay? These are the rules that I've set up, that I have my ritual. I'm sorry. But what did I do? It's about the relationship, right? And I want to have a relationship with my daughter. So I was like, okay, even if I'm going to be late to work and late to a meeting, sorry if I was late to a meeting with you, you know. I, okay, so I'm like, okay, so I sat down. Even though it was just two minutes and then she was on to the next thing, I sat down and talked with my daughter, right? Because it's the relationship over the dumb rules that we make, Right? We know this in our relationships with other people, with our family especially, and it's especially true with our relationship with our Father in Heaven. Okay? We make rules for ourselves to worship weekly, to get up in the morning and pray, to read our scriptures daily. Okay? Why are we doing all of those things? Sometimes we forget. It's not for the rules themselves. It's for the relationship. It's all about Him. This doesn't mean we stop worshiping weekly or stop praying or reading our Bible. No, no, no. But we do all those things to grow in our relationship with God. We come and worship weekly because we get to worship the king of the universe. We, we um, wake up in the morning, some of us early, some of us are night owls and we pray at night. That's cool too, okay? But we do that so we can set a time so I can develop this relationship, grow in this relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we, we make time and carve time in our week for community group because we want to have the relationships with other men and women that are God's people, Right? We do this in our lives because it's about the relationship over the rules that we make. Over the rules we make, okay? Because they're, I mean, we just make these extra rules, don't we? You can watch this movie, but you can't watch that. R-rated movies are totally off limits, except for Braveheart. For some reason, that one gets shoehorned in. War movies are okay. Um, uh, the Passion of the Christ, of course, that's all right. You know, we make these dumb rules, don't we? What, what you can watch, what you can't watch, what words you can say and what words you can't say. You can say shoot, but don't say, see, um, you, we have rules about that, right? Of proper decorum about what you can do, what you can't do. Okay, we make all these rules as religious people, but it should always come subservient. Now, in your life, you can make rules for yourself. You can have strong, firm convictions about things. You should. Even firmer convictions than your pastor, maybe. Like, Matt, I would never do that. Well, good, be firm, have a conviction about it. But that's your conviction. When you start putting it on other people and making them do it or looking down on them because they're not as good as you, we're becoming the Pharisees. Okay? Our convictions are personal. It doesn't mean we don't encourage people or when they're in outright sin, we call them out, you know, in, in love. But for these extra rules, like, because we're making fences. We're the Pharisees, aren't we? We do this. Uh, Larry Osborne has a great book called Accidental Pharisees. I think the title says it all. That we accidentally become these Pharisees and we're making up fence after fence after fence. This is good and this isn't. So 
If you're going to make up those rules for your life or for your family, know that you've made the rules and they are subservient to the relationship that we should have with God. Okay? We choose Jesus over religion. We choose relationship over rulemaking. And there's a third thing that Jesus is going to teach us in the third and final story today is that we need to choose people over preference. See, it's not just our love for God, that relationship, that vertical relationship. But Jesus is also going to challenge us to think on these horizontal relationships with other people around us. And what we need to start thinking is how can we choose people over preference? And that's what happens next. In verse um, 6, what, what we see is as it was on another Sabbath. On another Sabbath, Jesus is in the synagogue teaching, because that's what he did. He worshiped weekly. And he's teaching in the synagogue, and in walks man with a shriveled right hand. Okay? He has a shriveled right hand. So something, either it's a, a defect or he, an accident or something, but his hand is shriveled. He can't use it properly. And it's his right hand, and that means probably his work hand. Okay, What is it, 85% of people are right-handed? Maybe even more than that? Somebody will know the statistic. Um, but th- this is working. And so this is important to him. And he comes in looking to be healed. And what do the religious people, the Pharisees, start thinking? Well, this is the Sabbath. You can't heal someone on the Sabbath because it's work. They're still stuck on the Sabbath rule, right? You can't work on it. You can't heal this man, especially because it's just a shriveled hand. Just a shriveled hand. This is what they would have thought. Because they thought, he's going to have a shriveled hand tomorrow. This isn't life-threatening. If it was life-threatening, of course you can heal him. But he's going to have that shriveled hand tomorrow. He probably had it yesterday. You can wait one day, a few hours, really, to heal this man. And Jesus hears them, and he knows what they're thinking. So he calls the shriveled man right in front of everyone in the synagogue. Come up here. Has him stand right in front of everyone. All the religious people, all the Pharisees are looking at this man. And then Jesus addresses them. He doesn't talk to this man who's now standing up front and center, I'm sure just like shaking, nervous, like, what am I doing? Jesus talks to the religious people in verse 9. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? That's the question. He said, yeah, you're you're saying it's unlawful to heal someone on the Sabbath because that falls under your category of work. You built up the fence and healing someone of a minor deficiency, even though it's major to this man, okay, that is healing, that's work, that's not lawful. He says, but what's better, to do good or to do evil? To save someone's life and help someone or destroy a life and hurt them? Well, the answer is obvious, right? You see, what Jesus is saying is, yes, the law says... To not work on the Sabbath, to rest. But the law also says to love your neighbor. And we know because of Jesus, that is the second greatest commandment. First is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's in the Old Testament. Jesus says, hey, it's in there. We are commanded to love others, to do good to other people, to save a life. So he looks at the man with the shriveled hand in front of everybody. I'm sure now he's cowering in fear. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And he stretches out his hand and it's healed instantaneously. Jesus didn't shy away from the controversy, did he? Because he didn't come to start a new religion. He came for a revolution. And he says, we always choose people over preference. Because that's all it was. They had made this fence and it was their decision 
that, that their preference, that healing someone of a non-life-threatening disease, I mean, listen to that rule. Healing someone of a non-life-threatening disease is not okay because that's work. Jesus says, that's your preference. You've made that your preference. You've decided it's your tradition. It's passed on. But guess what? To do good is even greater. To love your neighbor is so much more important than following these dumb little preferences you have. So heal them. And the Pharisees are upset. They're angry. It says they begin to plot. And in the other Gospels say they begin to plot to kill Jesus at this point. Whoa. Where did that come from? Why is it that these guys, when Jesus heals a man, I mean, that's a miracle that they just saw right in front of them. Why is it that these guys now hate Jesus, are upset, and are wanting to plot to kill him? Because it's hard for religious people to let go. In fact, that's what Jesus says at the end of chapter 5. He uses these two metaphors, and they seem a little old-fashioned, but I think you guys will get them. He says, hey, explaining this situation, he says, you know, if you have a hole in your clothes, what do you do? Now, most of us, we just buy some new clothes, right? But back in the first century, people had maybe two sets of clothes. So if you've got a hole in one of them, you're going to fix it, right? You're going to patch the hole. So he says, what do you do? What you, what you try to do is try to match the material. If you have some clothes that you've worn out for a while and they're kind of beaten up, you can kind of tell, like the sun's been working on the color a little bit, you're going to try to find some material that matches it, that's already stretched out, that's already sun-worn or whatever, and then you match and you patch it with that. So not only does it look right, but it also doesn't stretch or, or, or change in the same way because the material is old together. He said, you patch an old hole in, in old clothes with an old patch. It says in the same way, if you get brand new clothes and you get a hole in it, you're not going to put an old patch in there because then when the, the clothes start to stretch, or get some, it's going to look funny and it's not going to work. It's not going to hold together right. It says you patch a new hole with new cloth and old hole with old cloth. You guys tracking with me? It says, okay, hey, in the same way, it's hard for people that are stuck in the old ways to bring in the new. He says, then I'm bringing something new. We need something new completely. Not the old religion. And he uses a second metaphor. He says, hey, think about wine. Okay, you, you guys buy it in the box or in the bottle. Yeah. He says, but hey, wine in his day came in wineskins. Okay, in these wineskins, if you're going to get new wine, okay, you put the new wine into new wineskins. Because when you put the new wine in, what does it do? It ferments and expands. So you want the new skin that's tough and so that it can stretch as the new wine expands. And if you have old wine, you put it in an old skin because it's not going to stretch in the same way. If you put old wine into a new skin, it's not going to stretch. It's going to actually be tough. You're not going to be able to drink out of it. And if you try to put the new wine into an old skin, it's going to stretch even more and it's going to burst. You guys tracking with me? This is an old metaphor. What Jesus is saying is, hey, the old wine skin only can take old wine. The new wine skin can only take new wine. And what he's saying is it is so hard for people stuck in the old ways, the old traditions, the old rules, the old preferences to accept the new thing that's coming. He said this in the very end in verses uh, 38 and 39 of chapter 5. He said, New wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. And so people say, the old is better. I, I, I like the old songs. I like the old 
the rituals. I like the old church. I like the wooden pews. I like every, you know, and we just like it. This is the best way to do it, too. We even make it the religious thing. Our preference becomes the most important thing because these old songs are so much better than the new ones. You know, our old way of preaching is better than the new way of preaching. See how this kind of applies to us today? And if you're thinking, well, Matt, this is a new, young, modern church. Why are you preaching this message to us? Well, here's the thing. We, too, can make what we are doing right now into the old very soon. (laughs) There's an interesting thing in our culture. Yes, uh, if you grew up in a church like me when I was a little kid and that very old, it's like, man, they were doing this the same way 200 years ago, right? It seems the same. But then you go to the churches from the 1960s and 70s. Okay, some of you grew up going to church like that or you got saved in a church like that. And it was amazing. It was new. I mean, there's a guitar in worship. What the heck? Like, this is so cool and new. But now those same songs are old. If you go to a church sometime that was started in the 60s and 70s, they're still singing those same songs. And they preach the same way. And you look around and everybody's the same age. <laughs> Except it's older now, right? And then there's the churches from the 80s and 90s. They were going to be doing something really new, seeker-sensitive or whatever the style was. Okay, they're going to do things new, and they have even a rock band. There's an electric guitar this time. I mean, that's how new it is, right? And it's going to be so new, a new preaching style. There's going to be drama. There's not even going to be a pulpit or, you know, oh my gosh, it's totally different. But now if you go to those churches, they're still singing the same songs from the 80s and 90s and the same preaching style and the same drama and skit, except it's the same people reaching the same demographic. Same thing happens in the 2000s and into the 2020s, okay? I say this because we are so prone to religion. We're so prone to choosing our preferences, our rules and our traditions over the new. And I don't want us to become those accidental Pharisees. I don't want us to get stuck in our traditions because yes, I don't have a pulpit at all up here, right? I use a TV, Okay, pretty soon that's going to be our tradition. And if I change it, you guys are going to be upset. I like back, back when you used the TV, that was so much better. Okay, we, we do this, right? And I don't want us to do that. We can't do it because Jesus came to bring something new, came to bring a revolution, not just another religion. So this is a challenge to every single one of us. And as we have the band come up right now, I want you to realize that Jesus came for a revolution. He came for the new. So we always need to choose the transformation over tradition. We always need to choose uh, the relationship with God over our rules that we make. We always need to choose people over preference because Jesus came to save people. And this may mean, yes, I'm a millennial. Okay, I'm cool and hip, maybe, right now. Probably not. And then Gen Z is coming up right on our heels, right? Everything's going to have to change again and again and again and again. And we're going to keep changing again and again and again because Jesus came for the new, not the old. In fact, he came and died on the cross to purchase the souls of the men and women around us. Okay? It's about Jesus, and we need to always choose Jesus over religion. Choose Jesus over religion. Let's pray. Lord God, um, this message... Um, I I know that it's a challenge for every single one of us. I like hymns. I still remember those hymns I sang as as a kid. And there's some things that are challenging. I see what people are doing, and it's hard for me personally 
to accept the new, Lord, but I pray that you'd always challenge us to continually choose you, Jesus, over everything else. Because you didn't come to start a new religion. You came to start a revolution. And may that revolution start in our hearts. For the men and women here who are saying, wow, I love this idea. I don't just want another religion. I want something new. If you're here today with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here and you say, I want to choose Jesus today for the first time, I want to challenge you to do that. That through this next song, I want you to accept the grace of God, say a little prayer, and receive His forgiveness in your life and His grace. Because His grace is new and it's so much better than the old. Lord God, I pray for all of us that we would fall in love with the new because You are the new and You make all things new. In Jesus' name, Amen.